0: So uh, last time I preached, we didn't have any Pearls Before Swine uh, kind of cartoons, and people like Nick go into withdrawal when I uh, come up here and don't bring that along. So we do have one of those today, assuming he can cue it up and isn't putting out the fire. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Pearls Before Swine strip, it is a uh, cartoon strip populated by animals And often uh, very spiritual things come out of that. There we go. All right, so pigs at a restaurant. Hello, before you order tonight, do you have any dietary restrictions? Yes. What are they? If I eat too much, my pants will explode. That's a dietary restriction. I meant like exposure to glutens. Yes, my glutes will be exposed. <laughs> Obviously, in the conversation, there's a disconnect going on. Something not, is not being communicated. And, and many times when we have issues of faith, go to the Bible to see what's being mentioned in there. Um, a lot of times, we're not getting the point, getting the full point of what is, what is mentioned, what God is saying to us. The Bible is a simple book, but it's not an easy book. And uh, even a verse like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that seems pretty straightforward, even a verse like that can have all kinds of layers of meaning that can be unpacked. So in Hebrews, the Bible is described as living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and what we're supposed to pull out of the Bible Is application for our life. It's supposed to be living. It's supposed to apply to what we go through and what we do. So in today's scripture, it's 1 Thessalonians 5 16 through 22. And and this is what it says. It's a familiar passage, a lot of things packed into this one passage. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. And do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And this is an important passage. If you sort of zoom out and you look at what this passage is talking about, if you look at the overall intent, In the big picture, it's about things like talking to God, our conversations with God. It's about pursuing righteousness. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us. If the Bible is confusing, if there's a, a struggle that you're having, trying to pull the meaning that you have in a particular passage out, one of the different ways we have, and there are all kinds of ways you can learn more about what the Bible is saying, but one of them is to go back to the original writing. Um, This book was written in Greek, from Paul to the community of believers in Thessalonica. And Greek, as you can guess, is very, very different from English. Um, For example, in this passage, it looks like a bunch of different verses and phrases to us, but in Greek, it shows up as four separate Statements. The first statement was about talking to God be joyful, pray, give thanks. The second phrase, second statement in Greek is things not to do. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. The third was test everything and do what's good. And the fourth was avoid evil. And today we're focusing on that second one. And some translations will say do not quench the spirit. Don't put out the spirit's fire or don't quench the spirit. And then it says that about don't despise prophecies. So look at what that means. The Greek word for quench is spenoumi. Say that. Spenoumi. You just spoke Greek. And it means to extinguish or to go out. Like what we're trying to do over there, right? Put it out But it refers to things like fire, sparks, or a lamp to put those things out. They didn't have electricity at the time, but what I've heard is that the current word in Greek for turning off lights is very similar to that also. But it involves taking something that is alive and lit and quenching it, turning it down, turning it off. And that's what we're being told not to do, by Paul. Got another pearls before swine for you. And this is where pig and rat are talking. Hey rat, I was thinking of inviting your mom to my party. Are you able can you give me her number? No. Why not? Because I don't have my phone with me. So so my phone has all the information that my brain used to have. Thus, my unused brain just withered away and died. That's too bad. What's too bad? Brain's gone. <laughs> that happens with cell phones, but uh, tech is not all bad. And one of the things you can do on your cell phone very easily is if you're trying to look at the meaning of a verse, you can toggle back and forth between different translations and versions of the Bible to get a better idea of what is being mentioned. So if you look at this second part of it, don't treat prophecies with contempt. That is not something that we are very familiar with and and know what that means. So look at other versions and see what they say. Do not treat prophecies with contempt is how it's written in the NIV. If you look at the New American Standard Bible, which is the closest word-for-word translation from the Greek, it says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Okay, about the same thing as the first one. If you look in the Common English Bible, it says, don't brush off spirit-inspired messages. Okay, that starts to make more sense, right? And if you look at the message, it says, don't stifle those who have a word from the master. So, to get a sense of what this full statement means, it talks about spirit, fire, and prophecy. So, what are those three things? Um, you've heard about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. Um, but we don't always have the best meaning of who the Holy Spirit is, who the person of the Holy Spirit is. Um, plus, a lot of us grew up in church where it was not called the Holy Spirit, it was called the Holy Ghost. Oh my gosh. who's had Ghost? That doesn't always give the best meaning to kids, right, growing up in church? They know what ghosts are, you know. They've ridden the Haunted Mansion at Disney World and they hear about ghosts and all of this, Halloween. It's not always the best connotation. And so we can grow up kind of with this murky, unclear understanding of what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God. And it's that that portion of God that He pours into people. It's the active, living presence of God that is with us and not just with us, But in us, uh, the Bible tells us in two separate places that at the moment of our conversion, when we confess Christ as Savior and receive our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into us to reside, to dwell. So the Holy Spirit is that portion of God, that nature, that, that person of God in us. Why? For a bunch of things. It's to reveal the sin in our lives. To open our eyes to where that is there. It's to empower us for ministry, for the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us about things. It, when we read the Bible, if something makes sense, or if we can apply it in our life, if we realize why we just read that passage because we needed it at that moment. That's the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to God's plan in us reading that and the application we're supposed to take from us. The Holy Spirit leads us moment to moment if we want that. And the Holy Spirit fills us to overflowing if we wish. The purpose is not to control us. The purpose is to be in an active, ongoing relationship with us so that we can be the disciples that God intends. So that's what the Holy Spirit is. And God says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Um, Go ahead and light this so we can talk about fire for a moment. Uh, Don't quench the Spirit or don't put out the Spirit's flame. In Acts 2, at Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit came on a whole bunch of believers at one time. And Luke, when he wrote Acts, described it like tongues of fire. So it was something like fire that came down on them. God is called a consuming fire. We have a song in our rotation that we sing. God is an all consuming fire. Um, God's angels are described as flames of fire. The Holy Spirit is never called a flame or a fire, but the work of the Holy Spirit in us is like fire. It's intense, it burns, it consumes, and it changes. Fire doesn't always have the greatest connotation. Um, for example, a forest fire it doesn't seem like a good thing. We're always trying to put it out. But isn't that a necessary thing to happen anyway? To renew what is there in the forest? And in the same way, God's fire is not destructive in us. It's to renew and to change and, and to, to bring that intensity to us also. And what about prophecy? What's prophecy? It's not some Old Testament foretelling by a guy in a robe out on the fringes of civilization saying something sounds crazy to the people. Prophecy, in its full definition, means any message to God sent to us for encouragement, for instruction, or for comfort. And that can take lots of different forms. It can be uh, God speaking to us directly through his spirit, maybe an audible voice, but more commonly just an internal nudge or feeling. It could be God speaking to us the words of someone else. It could be a preacher or teacher. It could be a fellow believer who says something and you know God meant for you to hear that. It could be an unbeliever who, who said something also. God can use anything to send us a message Certainly through his word, the Bible, through circumstances, through nature. we have even heard a testimony of God speaking through a fortune cookie. God can use anything that he wants, anything at his disposal, to speak to us. So, don't quench the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. Paul, or God through Paul, is saying something very important to us in this statement. He's saying... Don't suppress the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the active, encouraging, transforming, life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't suppress that in your life by regularly ignoring or shutting down the messages that God is trying to send you. Let me ask you this. Do you desire the full expression of God in your life? And if not, why wouldn't you? Years ago, when our church was still doing uh, mission trips to Honduras. I was on one of those trips, and a friend of mine, another church, um, we were in a conversation with some other people, and he made this statement, and I can't even remember what prompted it necessarily, but he made the statement, you can't limit God. And it made me think, Let me ask you, what do you think? Can't you limit God? This means yes, this means no. Haven't heard that in a while, have you? Um, My friend was speaking to God's sovereignty and God's complete power, which is undeniable. God is fully sovereign of all situations. But I believe we can limit the expression of God in our life because God allows that. God is a gentleman. God doesn't force His way into our life. If you've accepted Christ as Savior, He did not force you into that decision. And in the same way, He doesn't force you to look to Him in your everyday life. We're permitted to resist His presence. We're permitted to keep His presence at a distance. He allows free will. And that is something that we can do. Who has seen the new Star Wars, supposedly the final Star Wars? Who's seen it? If you've seen some of the old ones, you may not remember this particular scene. I think it was um, in The Empire Strikes Back. This is when Chewbacca runs out of conditioner. You remember that? And, you know, you see what's going on. Han, Leia, the droids, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do about that. You don't mess with a Wookiee, right? In a similar way, sometimes we in our Christian life are kind of jacked up. And the people around us don't know what to say either. They can see something's wrong, but they don't come to us and say things. But we know it on the inside. How? Because we come to that spot where we feel distant from God. Or we feel dry. That's something we talk about sometimes. I feel like in the desert. I just feel empty. I don't feel like I'm hearing from God anymore. Um, you may feel numb. You may feel like from time to time you've lost your enthusiasm for your faith. Going to church, praying just seems like a ritual instead of the relationship. And we assume it's because of circumstances or Sometimes we even imagine that God has stepped away from us, maybe even to teach us something. But if we feel distant from God, really, who moved? Jesus also does not hide himself from us. It's much more likely that we've done something to quench the Spirit's fire. And I would say, of all of the commands and directives in Scripture, Quenching the Spirit may be the one that Christians disobey the most frequently. I'm going to give you a list of ways that we do this, that we quench the Spirit. And uh, it's kind of a long list. So if you're a note taker, don't worry about it. I've actually printed out a handout with all of this on it. The ushers will give it out as you leave today. So don't feel like you have to get it. If you're not a note taker, take one anyway, because there may be something on it that you like. And there are a lot of examples on here. The point is not to overwhelm you with all the different things. The point is to see if there are one or two that jump out for you that may be a trap you tend to fall into that quenches the Spirit in your life. So, first one, sin. It's pretty obvious that more than anything else, creates distance between us and God, giving in to sinful behavior, not resisting temptation. It separates us from God. Number two, believe that God no longer talks to people. Um, And some of us believe that God is willing to speak and that He still does that for some people, but we imagine that's not us. That's not our experience of God to hear from God we're not listening. We're not expecting to hear from God. We don't recognize what it looks like when it happens in a lot of cases. Number three, we ignore the message when God is speaking to us. That's what he's talking about when he says treating prophecies with contempt. That's ignoring what God is saying. Um, sometimes we may know it's true but because it's not what we wanted to hear we sort of uh, make ourselves uh, deaf to it. Number four, intentionally disobey Scripture or any of God's messages. No brainer there. Uh, number five, procrastinate or delay in our obedience to God. Sometimes we do that saying, well, I need to discern what he's really saying here. I'm waiting on the Lord. Well, no, Lord's waiting on you in that moment. Procrastination is disobedience. Number six, we believe that because of grace, it doesn't matter if we obey or not. We feel like we're covered, um, I'm in, I'm good. It doesn't really matter what I do now, I got my salvation. Number seven, we care more about pleasing people than pleasing God. Ouch. That one hits me personally more than I'd like to admit. Number eight, we fill our head or our lives with things that don't honor God. And that's similar to sin. Number nine goes along with that. We become too busy with activities in which God is absent. It may be stuff that is good, even church stuff sometimes, where if you took God out of it, it wouldn't look a whole lot different. Those are areas where God is not being honored or included and may be quenching the spirit. Number Ten, fail to recognize the significance of God's Word. We fail to realize that every phrase of Scripture has intention, meaning, and purpose. And so we gloss over things without paying attention. Number 11, we let spiritual disciplines. And there's a bunch of them, but these are the four core ones, I would say. Worship, prayer, Bible study, and service. Those things become ritual and habit instead of something that... Renews and fulfills us. Number twelve, we take a prideful posture instead of a humble one. And the thing that I thought of, and I was writing that, is the youth who usher here in this service. Sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's youth. It would be very easy for youth to say, "It's for kids. Why am I having to do that?" But they jump in and they serve. A bunch of them do. And it's that uh, humility. Number 13, pretend to be a better Christian than we are. God does not honor a false witness. Number 14, allow the world to dictate the state of our heart or the state of our mind. We're not supposed to get our meaning, our worth, and all of that from the world. We draw it from God and what He says to us. Number 15, we discourage someone else in whom the Holy Spirit is moving. Because we don't understand it or maybe we're jealous that we see God doing something in this person that he's not doing in us. Number 16, we make fun of or disparage worship that is not our preferred style. If we were to say, worship over there, it's going on right now while we're doing this, is dead because they use liturgy and hymns instead of what we do. That is False. Um, read the words of a hymn sometime and see if God doesn't speak to you through that. Number 17, we turn church business, like meetings and committees, into just business. Number 18, fail to consider the spiritual significance of our thoughts and behaviors. God is with us all the time and so many of the things that we do dishonor Him and that quenches the Spirit. All of these things and others that I could have come up with also have the effect of quenching the work of God in our life. And He permits us to do that. He allows it. And so much of what we do is stuff that we don't even realize it as it's going on. The good news is I'm going to tell you some ways that you can kindle the Spirit, that you can ignite the Spirit in your life, that you can stoke the flames of that. Got one last cartoon. This one's from Peanuts. Got to mix it up a little bit and see if you can relate to this. Ending in an essay test when you know you did terrible is an awful feeling. Anyone been there? You walk back to your desk and you want to die. Except you don't die. And it's only October. And school lasts until June. And there'll be more essay tests, more agony. And maybe I should try studying. And I'll tell you, a lot of what we can do to ignite the Spirit, to encourage the Spirit, to fan those flames, is common sense kind of stuff. A bunch of them, again, not to overwhelm you, but just to let you know, where do I need this? Where do I need to encourage the Spirit more in my life? The first six come right out of the passage we read today. Number one, rejoice always. Number two, pray continually. Number three, give thanks in all circumstances. Because these three things put us in a mindset, a spiritual posture to hear from God. Number four, recognize messages from God and respond immediately. That's the don't despise prophetic utterances. Bonhoeffer said, "It's only when we're obedient to God that we truly experience faith." Number five, consider the spiritual significance of our thoughts and decisions. That's where he say, and test everything in that passage. Number six, go to the good, avoid the evil. Talk about common sense, right? Number seven, position yourself to hear from God. Show up at church consciously move into a time of prayer or, or thinking about the Holy Spirit. Thinking about God as you drive, as you walk, as you prepare to go to bed at night, right when you wake up in the morning. The next four things are look at those four core disciplines. Number eight, realize that worship is about giving yourself to God. It's not to get fed. It's not to show up here and get fed fed, like baby birth, having something dropped into your mouth. Worship is about what you give to God. Number nine, realize that prayer is more about listening than talking. You don't have to tell God stuff. He knows. It helps us. We need to say these things out loud, but God already knows everything you're about to tell Him. He knows what you need, what you want, what you're confessing. It's more important in prayer to listen to what he has to say back to us. Realize that reading God's word, third discipline, is about learning God's heart. The Bible says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Number 11, realize that serving, that fourth discipline, is what we were created to do. And when we inhabit our calling, we hear from God. And we experience God in a more powerful way. Number 12, see ourselves as a vessel for God's use. Remember the whole I Am Second movement? Number 13, mix up your religious routine. Go on a retreat. Go on a mission trip. Go to church. You're on vacation. You know, you hear someone new. You get to do that and connect every week now, right? Different person every week. Kind of liven it up. You don't know what to expect. Try going at 8.30 to the traditional service and see if God doesn't speak to you there in a way that you weren't expecting. Number 14, desire God above all things. Number 15, seek or look for God at all times. Um, Friday morning, Abby came in walking our dog and said, Daddy, you have got to go out and look at the sunrise. And I did. And it was incredible. And it was one of these rare moments where uh, you looked to the east and you could see it just filling up the sky. But one of those rare moments where you looked all the way around and everything was pink, not just where it was rising or setting. It was amazing. Fire needs three things, right? Needs fuel, something to burn. It needs a heat source or a spark to get it going. What's the third thing it needs? Oxygen. I think I'm hearing people say that. You can't see it. It's all around and it's limitless. But for fire to take place, you need all three of those things. Fuel is the oil inside. Have the spark. Then the oxygen sustains it. For us, in our Christian life, in our faith, we're the fuel. The spark happens when we confess God as Savior and we get lit. And then the Holy Spirit is the oxygen that keeps us going, that sustains us, that provides what we need to maintain this. I'll ask the band to come forward our final time of of music and worship. Over in traditional worship, the scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 13. And Charles uh, recommended that, but he said if there's something else you want to speak about, speak about whatever. And I felt like this is what we were supposed to talk about today. But 1 Corinthians 13, you may have heard at a wedding, maybe even at your own wedding, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, you know the rest. Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. And the whole chapter talks about the kind of genuine, authentic love that, we're, that God has for us and that we're supposed to have for others. That kind of love is impossible without the presence of the Holy Spirit in us to make it happen. Um, earlier we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Do you want the Holy Spirit to flood and fill this place and not just this place but you during this time of prayer I would say allow God to reveal to you how you may have quenched the spirit at some point in your life a habit of doing it perhaps and ask God to ignite or start something in you because God does things when we ask that he doesn't always do when we don't ask so let's ask God light something in us, to start something in us, to renew something in us. Amen.